Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. We had a conversation a couple of days ago, you and I, about plastics. I confess to you that I that I uh, rinse out and reuse my Ziploc bags. I I was a little surprised when I was like the only one. I mean, I thought it was just good frugality. Um, I'm responsible, but good frugality. Um, turns out that there was some anonymous text messages that came in and said, no, 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 don't do that. So it's caused a bit of a, an investigation, I think, as best we can with our lack of investigation uh, team here on the shift. And we're going to start the conversation, uh, I think, about a few things, because single-use plastics is back in the news today. Uh, ironically, in a world where people have turned to single-use plastics because of the pandemic, so the response is totally different than it was a year ago. And we still want to find out, are plastics uh, really even safe to be reused and, and stuff like that? So how do, how do we do this? You know, you and I as Canadians, how do we do this from a place of... Well, I want to be more responsible and I've got to be financially responsible. So if I buy Tupperware and I use it for three years, that's smart, right? Okay, maybe. But then if I I warm food up in it and oh my God, it goes into so many different places. So we've invited uh, Lily Woodford to be, uh, Woodbury, excuse me, to be on the show and chat about this. Um, Lily has a, a long background in her education around environment and environmental study, and she joins us from the beautiful, oh my God, beautiful Tofino, which really, Lily, I'm going to call you out. Short, you're not wearing plaid, but really short of, short of wearing plaid right now as an enviral person living in Tofino, it could be not more perfect of a stereotype. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. We have a long, incredible history of uh, environmental activism, and I couldn't be more stoked to represent that. So, thanks for yeah, having what me. A, what a beautiful place you live! Introduction. <laughs> what's um, what's your favorite thing about Tofino? Because it's stunning. Oh, it's so hard. I love this place, and I was born here, so I'm also a bit of a uh, anomaly in that sense. There's not many of us. Um, my favorite thing, I would say, I love surfing. Of course, that's mm-hmm. one of them. But also just love the pristine environment here that's been protected for so long from First Nations, from allies. You know, we have some of the oldest rainforest in Canada. We have super incredible beaches that millions of people come to every year to visit. So I think that's why my favorite thing. It's endlessly inspiring. All right. Our conversation was about um, plastics, um, reusable plastics. And then ironically, it has come into um, the news today with the single-use plastics again. So we kind of have two things here. Um, Try to keep them separate because I still think they're two very different topics. So we were talking about the safety of plastics today. And so I was kind of hoping that you could help me understand um, some of the safety around plastics. Because a bunch of years ago, there was a lot of plastics that weren't safe. And then the the BPA, BPS, uh, thylate stuff started coming. And the way I understand it is very simple is that thylates are inserted into the compounds in order to make them very, very strong, but still somewhat pliable. And then, um, but the BPA was BPA free. And then there was BPS, which is not BPS free, which is a very, very closely related cousin of BPA, which is also in plastic. So are we looking at, are we still looking at a disguise here in regards to what's going on with plastics and, and the way that we are consuming them? I think yes. And 
for what we know, there's still so much that we don't know. And I think in regards to that, as we continue to learn more and discover more, we need to apply the precautionary principle, right? That when we don't have a full understanding that we need to kind of act, um, act as if we know that it is going to cause harm, you know, cause it's likely that it probably will. So with that being said, you know, there's also the chemicals that are being added, like you say, BPA and phthalates, but plastic is also highly absorptive. So in the environment, it basically can act like a sponge. It can absorb heavy metals. Um, it can have absorb PCBs, DDT, and then that gets consumed by fauna and it can go through the trope, through the food chain, through bioaccumulation, through biomagnification, all the way up to apex predators, such as ourselves, right. way higher rates. So it's not only the chemicals that are being added to the plastics for as softeners, as additives for all kinds of different purposes. It's also that plastic is also absorptive as a petroleum product and is absorbing other chemicals in the environment and then coming back to impact us along with the whole wide web of creatures we share the planet with. Right. So I was doing some research completely unrelated to this on salt, uh, sea salt, in fact. And I was looking at some of the ingredients on sea salt, 100% pure sea salt. And you know what was on that list? It was American salt, but arsenic was on that list. Arsenic, <laughs> great. Yeah. And I'm like, I was like, okay, and like it was, it was minute, like it, but it was there. And I'm like, wait a second. So you're telling me that in, in um, naturally mined and dried sea salt, there's arsenic from that place. Like, that's a crazy notion. Yeah, definitely crazy. Definitely crazy. But that does speak to your food chain point. Okay. Um, so things like Ziploc bags, um, where does uh, an environmentalist land on that? Um, because it is, they could be reusable, right? Tupperware reusable, yeah. but still plastics, right? So it's not single use plastics, but I mean, pretty high function, long lasting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're, how would you approach that? First of all, I want to commend the intention. What we want to do here is work towards a circular economy where we keep materials in use and we design out waste and pollution. So the fact that you want to reuse something is amazing and that should be upheld. We want to create more systems for refill and reuse and not just be depending on all of these disposables. But with that being said, you know, speaking of the word anomaly again, it is a bit of an anomaly. Most people aren't reusing these items and we know that by the sheer fact of thin plastics that are getting sent to landfill that we're finding on ocean, on um, coastlines and beaches of Canada and all around the world. Most people aren't reusing them because they weren't designed to be reused. Right. They depreciate very quickly. They degrade very quickly. You know, I'm sure you could do a Ziploc test and you're going to see all kinds of things that will leak through it. It'll break. It'll tear, yada, yada, yada. Again, yeah. some people are very good at keeping them in use, but that is not the majority of people. And then in regards to the human health impact, I think people often refer to the end of life of plastic once they've reached their end of use, when they're being wasted and disposed. Um, but I think it's really important from the health perspective to see plastics along its entire life cycle. So that also includes in the manufacturing of plastics as they are, they are a byproduct of, of petroleum, including natural gas. And so at plastic refineries, there is a lot of pollution that is emitted. And who mm. are the people that live closest to, to these plants are communities of color, uh, communities that are marginalized, lower socioeconomic. So it's these communities, again, all around the world who have higher incidences 
of respiratory issues again, and that is exacerbated by COVID-19. Guess who's even at more threat of COVID-19 is these very populations. So when we think about plastic, it's not just the end of life and the chemicals that are added, but it's also the issues of how it's manufactured, where it's manufactured, the environmental justice implications of that, the amount of carbon it takes to manufacture the plastic, transport the plastic, refrigerate whatever the plastic is containing, potentially recycle it. And again, there's human health ramifications for that as we live in a climate crisis. Right. So how do we, but then, okay, so just a couple of things for the sake of touching on it in the spirit of, of talking about it. Um, so our choice could be, and this is completely hypothetical, like this is just occurring to me for the, I'm hearing this for the first time too. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so transporting plastic, right, to get it from point A to point B, and I get the inserting the uh, the hydrocarbon into the plastic and all the things that go into it. I get into the, the separation between uh, the trash versus the production, get that, mm-hmm. almost uh, very related topics, but still two different topics. But if we talk about food, so if we got food waste and we need a place to put our food in our fridge and save it, um, that means more food gets shift, more food gets moved around, gets packaged and gets sent our way. So it is a bit of a gimme gotcha because we can ship the plastic one time or then we end up sh- shipping more lettuce because we've got no place to put the lettuce. I mean, so it is a vicious circle. Now, I, I don't say that to really expect you to have an answer. I just, just for the point of the conundrum that we're in um, with all of this, but it does bring me to the place. But what about glass? You know, glass is one of those things that, you know, gets production of glass is filled with hydrocarbons and fire and all the things. And it doesn't go anywhere when it's gone. So how how does that land with you? I mean, I think you get my point of why it becomes so confusing for the consumer. Yeah, I do. And I think glass, again, has the issue where it's very heavy. So you start transporting more goods in glass, more emissions. Uh, When glass can be recycled, it has a higher recycling rate. It doesn't depreciate in value as much. And you can see that with EPR systems for Uh, beverages in glass that works very, very well. They stay in the system. They don't depreciate. That works very well. In terms of food waste and plastic packaging, you do bring up a really good point. And there's so much conversation about this. And, you know, the reason we've had to have to package our food in so much plastic is because of these really wild global supply chains we've set up that, as we see, are very vulnerable to crises like like pandemics, like Mm COVID-19. Oh, sustainability has never been a bigger word than it is now. Yeah, exactly. And so if we work to address the supply chains and we had better systems for local food, not only would we be more resilient, we wouldn't need to use as much packaging. And the packaging maybe we would use would be what could be locally composted. So everything would remain in a circular system. And then for what is you know, being sent across farther distances, we find materials that are more regenerative by nature. You know, there are certain bioplastics like seaweed or mushrooms that can be used. And again, not to, not to raise up the use of bioplastics, the conventional GMO bioplastics are far from the answer and also tied into um, petroleum use and, and uh, pollutants, et cetera. But yeah. But it's a, so, I mean, I, cause I think I hear clearly Lily that, you know, look, here's what we have. It's not perfect, but it's a step forward. We know there's going to be more to come. There's no top to the mountain, if you will. Um, and then there's other parts of this puzzle that are just, it's, it's just not, you know, it's just not working that way. Um, straws has become, uh, you know, the victim of, 
oh man, there's nothing better than a good plastic straw. When you're having a cold drink, it's so good. But they've become the victim of all this stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, it seems it seems like an innocent thing on its own. And I do, I do agree that straws have become so much of the focus and it's so much more beyond that. But also it really was the as an it was an entryway for people to think about plastics, to think about activism, that something so simple could bring attention to such a wide global problem. But now it's been our entry point. We can't let it remain our sole focus. So, you know, we see today with the government's uh, list of banned items, and that's really great, but we know that there's so much more that we're finding on the shorelines. We know that the issue goes beyond just these consumer plastics and that we need a holistic, systemic approach to dealing with this problem. So what are, um, what are the notables on the list for you uh, that would be the biggest problems that are on the list? And then we'll talk about what's not on the list. So you mean like what they've included in the ban list? Yeah, sort of in the in the in the pending single-use plastics ban list. Yeah, so the pending list includes checkout bags, stir sticks, beverage six-pack rings, which is great. We find so many of those on the beaches. Cutlery, again, also great. Straws and food packaging made from plastics that are difficult to recycle. And I know a big emphasis in this kind of seemingly vague category is polystyrene containers, which coming back to your passion about the chemicals is one of the most chemical laden of the plastic resins is polystyrene. That's that's styrofoam basically, right? Yeah. yeah. That's um, it's polystyrene. Styrofoam is the trademark name. <laughs> right. Oh, okay, good. Well, you and your big words. Um, the uh, <laughs> We're a simple show here, Lily. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, for me, for example, one of the, the things that would be remarkable and ironically, most people don't know this, Fort McMurray you know, oil land in Alberta was actually one of the first cities in Canada to ban single-use plastic grocery bags. I know. Right? So high five for that plan. Um, and that was years ago. I know. Um, but really And they get a bad rap. So, okay. So here's the thing. Now, uh, plastic cutlery serves its purpose, probably recklessly used. I get that. Plastic straws, there's got to be a better way, but there's also got to be a better way than these paper ones. My God, those things suck. Um, <laughs> plastic grocery bags, um, right? A&W root beer is never the same. With a with a paper straw, just saying. Anyway, um, now I got to buy my own metal one thing. Um, you get your own metal one, you can enjoy that all you like. There you go. That's a good tip. So the takeout containers can be fixed. I mean, so many stores already have chosen, you know, cardboard. Again, not perfect, but still better. Um, but the thing that gets me is that it's not on this list. So you've got the plastic stoppers for Starbucks. And I'll call out the stores. You don't have to if you don't want a lawsuit, but I don't care. I'll call out the stores. Plastic stoppers for Starbucks. Oh, my God. Waste of plastic, waste of time, waste of money, uh, everything. But then you have Tim Hortons recently increasing their lid size by 30%, mm -hmm. their lid weight, right? We would change the world if these restaurants were forced to have a better lid, nothing but a lid. If you looked at nothing but Starbucks and Tim Hortons and all that stuff, and you said, you guys need to find a better lid. Yeah. Why, why is that stuff not on here? You bring up a really good point. And it's one of the issues that we're concerned about. You know, when we do a lot of our cleanups, we find so many plastic coffee cup lids. So many of these items are being sent to landfill again. So what we would love to see is to have this ban list be expanded to be more encompassing of what we're finding in the environment, of what's being sent to landfill. And that 100% includes plastic coffee cups and lids. Now in Tofino New Clulet, we're again, really pushing for systems for reusable vessels, which I'll um, expand upon more in a moment. But there's also a now product on the market for sugarcane containers, um, 
like the coffee cups and the lids, which are locally compostable, that are backyard compostable and don't require an industrial system. So that's great, again, because it can remain in a circular system for the people who aren't ready to transition. However, there's a danger to having one single use item and swapping it out for another single use item because there is still a carbon impact of that. There's still a water impact of that. There's still environmental and social ramifications connected to that for something that is literally being used once and then being thrown away. Yes, Mm -hmm. it can be at least remain in a circular system and that's better than a single use plastic that's going to end up in landfill. But ultimately, you know, I think we're missing the mark a little bit and, you know, we need to be creating overhauling our systems for refill and reuse so that when you go to all these fast food chains you go to anywhere for takeaway there is models for refilling your reusable mug your container having deposit return systems having greater systems for for bulk shopping for having delivery models using reusable containers this is where we need to be going so we eradicate this whole single use mess in the first place is this a single use problem or is this a plastic problem it is both. It is both. It is 100% both. So this we're in a plastics crisis, but we're also in a throwaway society crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, 40% of 45% of global emissions comes from our mismanagement of materials, and that's not just plastics, that's all materials. We need to be working towards smarter material use across the board. And as I mentioned in be working towards a true zero waste society, which our federal government has said they want to complete and do by 2030, that means that we need to work towards these systems that eradicate the single use, that we work towards, again, the refill and reuse, the repair and remanufacture, and redesign the system so that we lower and eliminate the plastics in products and packaging. Well, most people have never worked in a warehouse. And uh, if you ever want to see unbelievable stacks of plastic and cardboard, um, our consumerism, you know, is staggering of what it takes to get it to the shelf. Um, it is mind blowing and I don't pretend to be environmentalist. I sort of stand in the world of look, we need to be more responsible. This is crazy. The way that we're this drive through society is crazy. And then we have like skip the dishes and Uber eats, which is monstrous right now because we're so bloody lazy. We can't get off our asses. And we're now we're just getting it brought to us recklessly and we're paying more for it. And then we complain we don't have enough money. So this goes on and on and on for me. Mostly it goes to the human side of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. And to your point, you know, I think it's great that you, that like, I think we need to move away again from everyone saying, oh, I'm an environmentalist and identifying it. We all have a responsibility to steward the earth. We all have a responsibility to act in reciprocity with the planet that literally makes our life possible every single minute of every day, makes this radio show possible, makes the lights in our room so we can see each other, even though no one else is going to see us possible. <laughs> Everything, that's incredibly beautiful. And we do have a responsibility to take care of that. So, you know, not all of us have to identify as environmentalists, but we do have a responsibility to shift our culture. And, you know, a big part of that in shifting our culture is shifting the regulations and making companies, making producers of plastic products and packaging responsible for the whole life cycle of what they produce financially and operationally. And when we do that, we're going to see a lot of this erroneous use of plastics, like we see with Skip the Dishes and all these delivery models eradicated because they can't recover all of these plastic ramekins and cutleries and sauces. It's going to be too expensive. It doesn't make sense. They're able to do it 
because they are subsidized by the pollution that they don't have to pay for. Yeah. Well, business, I'm a business owner and I can even tell you that businesses need to be responsible for um, what happens on the back end of their product, Um, you know, um, selling it. But at the same time, I am equally, I always wonder about the environmental stuff. And I always ask this question, you know, is this, this is a human problem, right? This is a human confidence, self-worth. I'm too busy. Oh my God problem. And, um, and humans, we need to, humans need to look in the mirror and go, okay, you know, I'm lazy. That's really what it is. I'm lazy. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there are times when you're running out and you got to grab a coffee or some food and you know what? That's fine. I'm not saying that everyone has to be perfectly square, but I do subscribe to the fact that even if just once you took your to-go mug, it would make a big difference. If everybody just did it one time. Yeah. Yeah. If we had, if we had to go mug day, just one day of the year, kind of like, you know, like recognize it, I'll help you. We're doing, there we go. You're doing that day here and it's going to be a hit. Everyone's getting ugly mug, ugly mug walls installed, get some prizes going. Nice. Yeah. We'll get some, we'll get some cheap stuff out of China and plastic stuff and we'll give it away as prizes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Your point, like, I don't, I don't know if it's a human problem. I think, humans aren't naturally just super lazy. We are, we have been shaped by the systems that we're in that make us overworked, that make us have to try to do things as conveniently and cheaply as possible. I think this is a systems issue. You know, what we're seeing, we have a hundred companies responsible for 70% of the global emissions. You know, we have 20% of the world consuming 80% of the resources. Most people on this planet aren't contributing to the plastics and climate crisis. The environmental crisis is largely caused by by all of these massive corporations and consumer society in the wealthiest parts and the industrialized parts of the world. So this is definitely a systems problem that we need to address. And again, a big part of that is regulating these corporations of changing our systems. Well, I cannot dispute that. It's very well said. Um, I would add to that, though, um, we are also the board members of this company called Canada, and we get to hire and fire the, the, the CEO. And if the CEO is not doing what, um, what needs to be done, uh, we do have a responsibility to look in the mirror of that as, as humans yeah, um, to, sure. to take responsibility. For but sure. don't worry about it. Just so you know, 2 billion trees are going to be planted. This will all be taken care of now. We're good. Right. right. Yeah. 2 billion trees fixes everything, Lily. Bring up another really good point with our democracy. Like we, all, we do have a responsibility as civilians to go out and, and vote and 100% like work to change those systems and lobby our government. But again, a lot of the big issue is that we have these big industries, the chemical industry, big agriculture, big oil, who are funding the political parties who have way more exposure than the ones that aren't getting this, this funding, right? So it's, it's really tricky. And we see that again across the globe. Uh, it's a remarkable conversation. We could keep going. And I want you to come back because there are so like, there is literally 15 topics here. We talked about recycling and, you know, and recycling programs for the most part are BS anyway, um, in so many cities about how much actually gets recycled. Like consumers are fooled yeah. thinking that, oh, I feel better because I throw it all in the bin. But um, many communities aren't fulfilling that. Yeah, it's a broken system that 100% needs to be fixed. All plastic, it depreciates. Usually it depreciates after every time it goes to the recycling stream. And as you say, only 9% of plastics in Canada are currently recycled. So that needs a huge overhaul. 
Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Lily, thank you so much. Lily Woodbury is uh, is joining us from Tofino, and um, I guess a little night surfing on your on your schedule now, huh? Oh, maybe. I like the idea. I hadn't thought All of right. that. You're there on you to something. All right. Thanks so much for the time, Lily. Thanks for having me. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Let's get started with uh, Jason's big moment. Get up on stage and get that spotlight, buddy. In case you missed it on the radio, here's Jason Manawas. Ding. Hey, thank you, Matt. Uh, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge, uh, Matt, you're wearing a very nice toque. Uh, I know the listeners can't see it, but it's a Guinness toque. Uh, it's looking very nice tonight, man. Looking very sharp. Hey, thanks, man. It's, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the black stuff, so uh, always happy to uh, do that for, for free. Sounds um awesome. sounds like somebody got into an argument with his girlfriend today. Uh, I'd uh I'd rather not say. What? I'd okay. Say. Ooh, ah, oops. <laughs> Did I miss something here in case I missed it? He said toque. <laughs> oh, okay. No, whatever. It's it, it can be a beanie too. We've been through this before. Let's not beat it to death. No, I, there was there's a reason behind this was what I'm saying, Matt, and I think I accidentally hit the nail on the head there. But anyway, moving along. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so the VP, um, the Vice President uh, U.S. debate was earlier last night. Uh, Senator and Vice Presidential Candidate Kamala Harris took aim at President Trump's unwillingness to believe and follow science. Joe has seen and talked with the farmers in Iowa whose entire crops have been destroyed because of floods. And so Joe believes, again, in science. I'll tell you something, Susan. I served when I first got to the Senate on the committee that's responsible for the environment. Do you know this administration took the word science off the website and then took the phrase climate change off the website? This, we have seen a pattern with this administration, which is they don't believe in science. And Joe's plan is about saying we're going to deal with it, but we're also going to create jobs. Donald Trump, when asked about the wildfires in California, and, and the question was, you know, the science is telling us this. You know what Donald Trump said? Science doesn't know. So let's talk about who is prepared to lead our country over the course of the next four years on what is an existential threat to us as human beings. Joe is about saying we're going to invest that in renewable energy. It's going to be about the creation of millions of jobs. We will achieve Net um, zero emissions by 2050, carbon neutral by 2035. Joe has a plan. This has been a lot of talk from the Trump administration, and really it has been to go backward instead of forward. We will also reenter the climate agreement with pride. I think we need some volume there, buddy. Uh, the volume's up. Uh, hey, Jason. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Sorry. There he is. It is. It is. It was off. <laughs> so that was. Uh, Senator uh, Kamala Harris uh, with the shot at the Trump administration. Uh, but just to keep some balance here, uh, U.S. Vice President, uh, U.S. Vice President um, Mike Pence then challenged Harris by saying she was not presenting facts. Here's a clip. Well, I hope we have a chance to talk about health care because Obamacare was a disaster. The American people remember it well. And President Trump and I have a plan to, to improve health care and to protect protect pre-existing conditions for every American. But look, uh, Senator Harris, you're, you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. You yourself said on multiple occasions when you were running for president that you would ban fracking. Joe Biden looked at a supporter in the eye 
and pointed and said, I guarantee, I guarantee that we will abolish fossil fuels. They have a $2 trillion version of the Green New Deal, Susan, that your newspaper, USA Today, said really wasn't that very different from the original Green New Deal. More taxes, more regulation, banning fracking, abolishing fossil fuel, crushing American energy, and economic surrender to China is a prescription for economic decline. President Trump and I will keep America growing. The V-shaped recovery that's underway right now will continue with four more years of President Donald Trump. Yeah, so uh, the fracking. V-shaped recovery mean that there was a real low part? Sorry, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, fracking, the word of the night. Um, so, yeah, so um, they were challenged on that. Um, the, the whole debate itself, um, it was more civil uh, than the presidential debate, for sure. Um, there were still lots of uh, interrupting. Um, lots of people were blaming the moderator. Um, and um, But um, the star of the debate was, well, a fly. Because um, oh, during the debate, a fly flew and settled on the vice president's head. And the internet, of course, uh, went wild. Here is television presenter and popular social media star Rex Chapman recording his reaction to the fly. He's got a fly on his head. There's a fly on his head. Pence has a fly on his head. He has a fly on his head, guys. David, he's got a fly. He's got a fly on his head. Get away from him. <laughs> Detailed reporting. Um, so, yeah, so the fly is now um, the, the meme. It's what's trending on Twitter. Uh, so it goes to show what people uh, want to see in these debates. Um, but I thought that was uh, pretty funny and pretty entertaining. Um, <laughs> he has very white hair, in all fairness, and it was a very black fly. Yes, yes. So, like, if it landed on Kamala Harris's hair, probably wouldn't have shown as obvious. But um, uh, that so that was, the fly was the star of the debate. Um, so in case you missed it, uh, the San Jose Sharks wrapped up the first round of the NHL Draft Tuesday night with a special touch while announcing the choice of Ozzy Weis uh, Weisblatt with the, 30 with the 31st overall pick. Sharks director of amateur scouting Doug Wilson Jr. first used sign language before saying his name. The reason? Well, Weisblatt's mother, Kim, is deaf. Here's the clip. The San Jose Sharks are proud to select from the Prince Albert Raiders. Ozzy Weisblatt. Pick number 31, and that's fantastic with sign language as well. And Sam, you're giving us the thumbs up. Ozzy Weisblatt from Calgary, Alberta is a formerly member of also with the Prince Albert Raiders of the Western Hockey League, a member of the San Jose Sharks. That's classy. That is super classy oh, yeah. to take that moment and to know him that well. And that his mom is deaf and the sign language, um, cause they the kids communicate with her that way and to do it that way first. So mom knew, um, that's classy, man. There've been some good things in the draft. Yeah. There's, there's, there's been some um, uh, awesome stories in the draft. That was probably my favorite highlight. And it goes to show like this may be like thinking far ahead. Uh, but, uh, say if, uh, if this kid becomes a star, in the NHL, it's ready for his contract. You know, he can think about that moment of what the San Jose Sharks did for him. And you, you never know. Maybe that'll yep. be the reason why he stays for that team. 
Yeah, you know um, what? And it's 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 very touching. And one of the things that Ethan Bear they did in Edmonton um, in their preseason game that they did with Calgary is that in his uh, he's an indigenous guy, and in his native um, script, his last name how it's written in his native language they 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 wrote his name in that language on the name bar on the back of his jersey for that game. Again, also you know classy stuff, man. I like this. Yeah, that that is beautiful. These um these uh online or uh these uh pandemic drafts uh have been uh, a sight to see. I think they've been actually really successful. Um but the last in case you missed it here, um the online shopping giant Amazon announced it is bringing a delivery center to Winnipeg. So could the city become a larger distribution hub for major companies? Well, Global's Winnipeg Global Winnipeg's Marnie Blunt has the story. Amazon is set to open a delivery center at this location behind me here in the Inkster Industrial Park. And many say there's room to grow in Winnipeg when it comes to major distribution centers like this one. A centralized location, a booming transportation industry, and access to the airport and rail line. Winnipeg checked all the right boxes when it came to housing a distribution center for a company like Amazon. In terms of distribution from the Winnipeg area, I think there is like 90 or 95 percent of North America can be reached uh, by road from Winnipeg within 48 hours. We obviously respond to customer demand uh, and uh, in uh, more so we look for talent and we found uh, uh, an abundant, uh, talented workforce here. A spokesperson for Centreport says the transportation and distribution industry employs more than 40,000 Manitobans and contributes over $7 billion to GDP. But there's still ample room to grow. We think the right business environment is definitely in place in Manitoba in order to support those future investments into the sector. Centreport says they're seeing larger companies shift towards more regional distribution centers. And having Amazon move in could garner some attention. Amazon is such a big brand that when activity like this happens, I think other people definitely take notice. As for the Amazon facility here on Plymouth Street, it's expected to create hundreds of both full-time and part-time jobs. The center is slated to open sometime in 2021. Marnie Blunt, Global News. In case you missed it, Jason Manalis right there. I would like to acknowledge one text message that came in from... Uh, uh, from Trucker Dan with our Rocktober riffs. Um, can we play the song again? Just because Dan did get it right. And I want to make sure that everyone knows. Uh, because if you get it right, you get it right. And if you get it wrong, you didn't get it right. I'm just wondering if we could acknowledge um, what he guessed with the song there, Matt. Would that be okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. I can um, I can actually play the riff in question here. Okay. All right, all right. Uh, here's, here's the riff that uh, the Rocktober guessing riff version 2. Congratulations to Trucker Dan. He says, I know that riff. It's in case you missed it on the radio by Lord Matthew MacArthur of safety. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Trucker Dan. He's Lord Matthew MacArthur of Glencoe. Just to be clear. Of Glen- get the title right. Of Glencoe, of safety, and of shredding. Of shredding. There it is. In case you missed it on the radio, that was Jason Manawis. All right. Um, I'm Shane Hewitt. Sir. Thanks for being sir, here sir. on the shift. What's that? It's Sir Jason Manalis now. I got knighted oh, by uh, Lord MacArthur here. Oh, now you're a Lord Manalis. Oh my God, where are we going? Sir Manalis. Oh boy. <laughs> 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 yeah, let's just get out of here.
Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.